Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. It ought to fall open there by now. And we just want to read really one or two scriptures in here because we're not going to go back over all that we've been talking about. But we're talking about worship and how that is so critical. But not just critical because it's, the problem is we, have, we, we often see church just as we often see church as, I don't know, 800 individuals that come here on a Sunday day morning. But that's not how God sees us. God sees us as the body of Christ here at Faith Christian Center. That would be like looking at your hand and seeing, you know, four million cells. No, it's your hand. However many cells make up your hand, they're together and they form your hand. That is what those cells are. And we are the body of Christ here at Faith Christian Center. But it requires a change in how we see ourselves and a change in how we think. And we've talked about that before. But it also means we have to change what we're, how we see what we're doing. And we tend to see it as compartmentalized, things we do. We come and go through our program, which is we come and we greet people, we see our friends and people that we haven't seen for a while, talk about, you know, the Red Sox winning or whatever it is, or, you know, talk about, you know, what, what your week was like and, you know, good to see one another, you know, and then we come in here and we hear wonderful music and hear beautiful music and we sing together and that's our worship of God and now we finished our greeting one another, we finished worship, now we're going to sit down and get kind of comfortable and get our Bibles out or whatever it is that you, your Bible's on and, and we're going to listen to the Word of God. and then we'll leave here and go through our next step but that's not how God sees it it's a continuum to him and worship is so critical it's not just something we do worship you understand is not slow songs praise are the first two songs that are fast and worship are the second two songs that are slow worship is an attitude towards God And it is not just something we do when we come to church. It should be the attitude of our life. And what worship really is at its core is recognizing His greater worth. Recognizing His worth. He's worthy of everything. And when that begins to go off inside of you, you'll begin to see Him in ways you don't normally see Him because worship is really a response to seeing who He is and what He's like. And in these scriptures, Jesus has an encounter with a woman at a well. We've talked about that before. We're not going to go back over that. And that's what we come to do. We come, when we come together as the body of Christ here, we come to have an encounter with God. Now, you can have an encounter in your car. You can have an encounter wherever you are. But when we come together, there's a different kind of experience that's possible. What we're looking at this, and we began to talk so much about this more last week, is we're looking at this from God's side. So often we look at our church experience by what we got out of it. Look back talking to people about the concert, about, well, what did I get out of it? Oh, I enjoyed it, you know. And, and so we often look at church about that. Well, what did I get out of that? And there are people that evaluate church. They evaluate the pastor. They evaluate the music by what they got out of it. Boy, he was good today. Boy, he was, you know, they were on today. Whatever. And so we're looking at it, but, but why, how is that different than having gone to see a good movie or gone to see a good concert or gone to see a good play? It's what I got out of it. And we don't recognize what goes on here or the potential of what goes on here. And the beginning of that really is to understand there's another party to this interaction, and that's God. We read through the story of the woman at the well, and we talk about it at the woman at the well, but she's not the only party in that experience. 
There was the woman who really represents us in what we're talking about. And then there was Jesus, who was God in the flesh. We've been talking about this so we can get an understanding that when we come together at Faith Christian Center, and it's not just us, it's every church that has his heart towards him. When we come together, he's here. He said, where two or more of you are gathered in my name, there am I. And one, two, three. Yeah, we got more than two here. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> and so he's promised to be here with us. But do we see him for who he is? Do we, do we recognize his presence here and what he wants to do? Because what we've seen is Jesus wanted to reveal himself to her. And as he began to do that, she responded to what she saw. And she said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she starts talking about worship and the right place to worship. And she says, she says, well, instead of telling you what she says, let me read what she says. Whoops, I'm not in John. <laughs> verse, uh, verse 19. The woman said, Sir, I, believe you're a, I perceive you're a prophet. So I'm seeing a little bit more about who you are. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you Jews say, in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is. So he's talking about us today. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We'll talk about that later. This is what we're looking at. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. What we began to look at last week is that when we come in here, God's been waiting. Waiting for this experience. I told you the story of when, years ago when we were on vacation with our whole family and we'd rented a house together and, and our granddaughter, Emma, um, got up early in the morning and when I went out the door of our bedroom, she wanted to know if she could wake her grandma up because they were just like this and still are. And so I watched her. She went and she just stood next to the bed waiting, watching her grandma waiting for the moment when her eyes would open. Now, the interesting thing is they spent Friday night with us because of the concert. They went home with us. And uh, we got up in the morning and got busy, took them out to breakfast, and Anita said to me, she did it again. She said, I opened my eyes Saturday morning, and there was Emma just standing there looking at me. And she didn't hear the message. So it wasn't because I said something last week. Because it's her heart. She loves her grandma. She just can't wait for grandma to wake up so she can be with her and she can see her and interact with her. We don't very often think of God like that. The God's just waiting for you and me. He's waiting for us to come in and to open our hearts to Him because it, He loves us. God loves being with you. He loves being with you individually, personally, but He loves being with us together. We love all of our children. We love when they come home, but it is so special, especially on holidays when they all come to be together. And they get talking about memories and things that went on in the past, you know. And I just sit there and smile and watch them at the dining room table just talk to one another and it just warms my heart. That's how God feels when we come here. He's a father. Why would we think any less? Am I more loving than God our Father? Certainly not. So he must be like that. And so we see in these little words of Jesus, we can read over them so quickly, and the Father desires, longs for, 
is looking for. The Father seeking such to worship Him. His heart's longing for us to come and to worship Him. And so we began to look last week back in the Old Testament and see the story of this longing and how God carried it out. And we looked in the Garden of Eden and how God had created it originally. And we went back and we saw this wonderful time that He and His man and that woman had together and how sin created this incredible separation. We can't even begin to imagine what that was like. And so we began to look at God's efforts to restore that. He announced in Genesis 3.15. The plan was already in place to restore. And that's what this is all about. That's the story of the rest of the Bible is restoring again that intimacy and fellowship, that closeness, that interaction. God doesn't create religions. It's a relationship He was after. He didn't create religion in the garden. Jesus didn't come to recreate religion when he walked on this earth and when he died on that cross. He came to restore relationship. All through John's writing, especially John 14, 15, 16, and 17, he talks about being one with the Father. He talks about the relationship. We've talked about the fact that when he called his disciples, he didn't say, come join my movement, join my church, join my new religion. He said, you, personally, come follow me. He called them into a relationship. And he's the same today. Wow, God. Waiting eagerly when the doors open for you and me to come in here. Wow. He longs for, desires this kind of worship. It does something for him. Then we saw that God's first major step towards restoring this was he decided to form a people for himself. He didn't choose a people that already existed. He decided to form a people for himself. So he chose a man named Abram. And we went through the story of that. And he entered into a covenant with Abraham, a blood covenant, by which God gave himself to Abraham. And Abraham gave himself back to God so that there was a security there. There was a confidence there in the relationship that they could be real with one another. That's so essential in any relationship for trust to be there so that you can be yourself You don't have to always be on guard because if I make the wrong move, I'm going to be rejected. It's going to destroy the relationship. So God entered into a blood covenant with that man. What we're going to look at today is over in Exodus. Go to chapter 3. Because we're going to move along in this story. Because what happens is, as the next generation come, which was Isaac, and then the next generation come, which was Jacob, if you read through the book of Genesis, you'll see in each case God reestablished the covenant with the next generation. There are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. We're all direct descendants from the Father. So you can't get into the kingdom of God on your parents' coattails. My grandchildren are in our family not because they came from my wife or me directly, but they came through our children. So they get into our family because they're secondarily connected to us. But in the kingdom of God, there's only one direct connection. And so God reaffirmed that covenant. And God made Abram aware that there was going to come a time there would be a great famine and God, for the provision and protection of this people, would have to bring them into another land than He did. He brought them down to Egypt. And already sent one of his descendants, he sent one of his children, he sent Joseph there ahead of time to make provision for them. The whole story of Joseph is to make provision for God's people when the famine came. 
By the time the famine came on the land, Joseph had already been in charge of the famine relief program. So while the Egyptians were funding the program, God was taking care of his children somewhere else. And when the famine came, God brought his children down and the world had funded, Egypt had funded the relief for God's people. And so they provided for during this terrible famine. But if you read in the first chapter of Exodus, what you discover is they overstayed their need. Because it says that the children of Israel grew greater and mightier than the Egyptians. And a Pharaoh came along who didn't know Joseph. He didn't understand this relationship. He didn't understand they were God people. And he became afraid of them, so he began to persecute them and keep them down. Now it tells me that if the Bible says they were greater and mightier than the Egyptians, then they could have walked out any time they wanted to. But what happened is Pharaoh began to enslave them. And the way he enslaved them is he began to provide all their needs for them. Be careful, the government can do the same thing for us. If you see the government as your source, then you are in bondage to our government. Therefore, you have to do what the government says, and you have to stand for what the government stands for. And there was a time when what the government stood for was very close to what the church is to stand for, but that's pretty much gone away for now, at least. And so if you're dependent on the government to provide your finances and your needs, I'm not saying that God can't use them, but if you're dependent upon it, then you've taken what God has entrusted to you, you've taken His special relationship and you've basically entrusted it into the hands to, in most cases, ungodly people. But they cried out for help. Because with that provision was bondage. With that provision, they lost their freedom. With that provision, they had to work hard and slave hard for other man's benefits. But then they had it at one point, and they cried out for a deliverer. They cried out for God to deliver them. And just to show you God's amazing provision, I went out of the time this morning to go into it, but God already had a deliverer prepared for them. And if you study the story of Moses, who was the deliverer, you discover that Moses was already 80 years into the preparation program of God for delivering them. So when they cried out to God to deliver them, God was 80 years prepared for them. God knows your needs. He's often waiting for us to come to Him and cry out to Him. One of the verses that just keeps rolling around in me is in James chapter 4. You have not because you ask not. Chapter 3, we see the story of where God now calls Moses. Moses was being prepared and didn't realize it. And we're not going to go into a lot of detail here, but I want to look at you because we're looking at this from one particular point of view. Exodus chapter 3. We'll start in verse 8. This is God's conversation with Moses explaining his call when Moses has seen this bush that was burning but did not burn up. Verse 8. This is, we're now talking, remember, talking about God's desire to be with his people. 
So there's a separation now. They're in bondage to Egypt. While they're in bondage to Egypt, they're surrounded by other gods. They're surrounded by gods that man has made. They're idols. And so God's not experiencing them, and they're not experiencing Him. They're caught up in the world, because Egypt represents the world. It was the dominant culture of the world in that day. And Moses is, God's telling Moses, when he's already said, I hear their cry, I hear their sorrow, I know their sorrow, verse 7, verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Termites. No, they're not in there. A lot of ites in there. Now what God's saying there is I'm going to bring them to a place that's already inhabited by a bunch of ites. <laughs> and I'm going to move them out and give it to you. We don't think God would do things like that. Well, God loves everybody. He's fair to everybody. Yeah, God loves everybody. But these were an ungodly people that were idolaters. In fact, God warned Israel, when you get in there, have nothing to do with them. Because they'll infect you. This is why we're talking on Wednesday night about how to live a separated life. Because this world wants to infect us. With the way it thinks, with the values that it has, by pressure. One way. By deception is another way. By not having clear thinking. To infect us. So we're very similar to Egypt, to, to the Israelites. They were in a land God had given them, but there was pressure from the outside to bring in the doctrines of the world. And so God told them, I'm going to get them out of there and give it to you. After all, He's God, isn't He? And it's His earth, isn't it? So He can do what He wants to do, can't He? He's not accountable to me or you. But he wanted to bless them. He wanted to provide for them. He wanted a special place for them. And so he said, I've come down. Notice this. God came down to them so he could be with them. Verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians have oppressed them. Come, now he's talking to Moses, therefore I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people. We talked last time about this covenant, that they belong to him and he belongs to them. I told you that God took Abram's name and gave his name to Abram, because it used to be Abram. And God stuck part of his name in the middle of Abram, so it's Abraham. And he did the same. Somebody mentioned to me, I forgot to mention it. He did the same with Sarai. And he stuck Ah, which was part of the end of his name, on the end of Sarai to make it Sarah. And then I shared with you, but he did even more than that. God took Abram's name and joined it to his. Because from that point on, God refers to himself as the God of Abraham. The God who belongs to Abraham. And so God calls them my people. There was no one else on the face of the earth that God called his people. This is personal to God. This is why it's not religion, it's relationship. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, 
the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? That I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And his answer, notice this, it's still his answer today. Verse 12. So he, God, said, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve the Lord on this mountain. And that word serve also means worship. So God is saying to Moses, I'm going to go with you. Because look to Moses, this is an overwhelming thing. Because by the way, the last time Moses was there, he wasn't too popular. He had to flee from Egypt, from Pharaoh, because he killed an Egyptian soldier and declared that he was the deliverer. And so he had to flee and he spent 40 years in the wilderness while God was training him to lead God's own people in that same wilderness for 40 years. And now the time is for him to go back, and he's looking at himself saying, who am I, first of all, that the Israelites would follow me? And then why would Pharaoh listen to me? And God's answer is, I'll be with you. And he said, the proof to you that I'm leading you is when they come out, you're going to bring them to this mountain, which is where the bush was that was burning, and at this mountain, they're going to worship me. So God's bringing them out and one of the first things God wants them to do is to renew this desire he has of worship, of interaction with them that he had with Abraham and that he had with the man and woman in the Garden of Eden. So that's what we're going to look at for this week and probably another couple of weeks maybe. We're going to look at this segment of it, then we're going to go on and look at some others. Each of these, I told you, is God is increasing his ability to be among his people that they would recognize Him and worship Him. And as we go through this, we're going to see, and especially in this one we're going to look at, how intricate and how detailed this program God had to establish just so He could be among His people in some form that gives you some idea of what was lost in that garden with that sin. Because in the garden, they could stand before God without anything covering them, anything protecting them, and God could stand before them in all of His unlimited, unbridled glory. And now we're going to see a series of procedures they've got to go through, and a series of, of, of articles that they have to make, and a series of clothes they've got to wear, and how they've got to do things just right. And all of that is because they're now so far fallen. Sin is so much a part of them, and in order to come into the presence of a holy God, they have to be protected, because that absolute holiness would destroy them in an instant, because of the sin gets judged. All right, so that's what we're looking at. So this is the call, is to bring them here so that we can worship. Now let's go over to chapter 19. What's happened is between Exodus 3 and Exodus 12 is a series of miracles and a series of judgments and things that God brings into Egypt. And then finally in chapter 12, they get set free, they're delivered. And they go out into the wilderness, and then they celebrate in the wilderness, and then they start complaining in the wilderness because the water's not as tasty as they wanted it to. They get out of there, and they find out that their, you know, their their lunch that they brought with them out of Egypt's run out, and they panic, and they start walking by sight and not by faith, 
and they get panicked, and the first thing they do when they panic is they start blaming God, and then they start blaming Moses because they can't see God, so they, they blame the representative of God, and they blame Moses for all this. Why'd you bring us out to die? And they've only been out there just a few days. And God leads them down, has them come down to the foot of this mountain. We began this study a while ago. We started in this place because this really is the vision, chapter 19, for what God's talking to us. Verse 1, In the third month of the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. On the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And there they departed from the Rephidim who had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. That's the same mountain where Moses met God and God gave him his commission. And Moses went up to the mountain, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, which is also Israel, and tell the children of Israel that you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you. Now listen, God's telling him, you tell, the, you tell my people this from me. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I destroyed them in one day, your enemy. He can do that for you today too. And I bore you on eagles' wings... That's the, as if an eagle comes down and just swoops you up and carries you. I carried you here. And they're complaining. I carried you here. Now notice why he did it. This is what we're looking at. And I bore you on eagle's wings, and look at this, and brought you to myself. Wow. God saying, I did this. I performed those ten miracles in Egypt to the point literally of taking Pharaoh's firstborn and the firstborn of everybody in Egypt because they wouldn't let you come to me. And they kicked you out of Egypt and you came out and you came to the sea that separated you from where I was calling you to go. And Pharaoh changed his mind. And came down to destroy you. And I stood as a cloud and a fire to protect you. And while I was there, then I parted the sea. And you walked across on dry land. Think about that. Dry land. And when you all got over, two million people or so got over, your enemy came in after you. And I withdrew my grace. And the sea swallowed them up. You watched the, heart, the strongest, mightiest army that was your enemy destroyed before your eyes in one day. And I did that. And then I brought water out of a rock. And I brought, brought food out of heaven. And I brought you now these three months down to this mountain. And I did all of this to bring you to me. Not my doctrine. Not my organization to bring you to me. Because all the time you've been in bondage, all the time you've been out there, we've been separated. I've been there watching over you, but I've not had you, the experience of you, and you've not had the experience of me. And now I've done these things. Why? So I could bring you to me. Because I've longed for you. This is what we want to see. We want the Holy Spirit to touch us with the desire that God has for us together to come and worship Him. For I desire, I long for such to come 
and to worship me. So I brought you to myself. I brought you to myself. Wow. Wow. Verse 5, Now therefore if you will indeed obey the voice of my, my voice and my covenant, keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me. And we struggle with our self-image. You shall be a special treasure for me to me. Look at this. Above all people. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me. Not just general. You shall be to me God. A kingdom of priests. What's a priest? A priest is someone that represents the people to God and God to the people who can come before God because in those days you couldn't just come before God and what God's about to set up is a priesthood, a system of priests who can come before God and worship Him. And God's saying, I want to make of you, this nation, a kingdom, a priest that can come and worship me. Wow. And a holy nation. We've talked about that word holy before. Holy means we belong to Him. We're special to Him. We're particular to Him. Peter talks about this as you are a peculiar people. That doesn't mean weird. It means special, unique These are the words, God said, you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came down from the mountain and called the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord had commanded them. The Lord answered. So they, they said, well, we'll do whatever you say. And God tells Moses, and we've talked about this before, you need to spend three days and prepare, and then I want the people to come to the base of the mountain. And they do that. They go through the preparations. They come down to the base of the mountain on the third day. Verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses, this is the key verse and all we're studying here. This is what God wants to do when we come together. This, I believe, is the assignment God's given me. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with their God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. When I tell you over and over again that when we come in here, God, we're coming in here because God wants to meet with us. Oh, yes, we can come and learn things. And yes, we can come and, and grow and mature. And those are good things and those are wonderful goals. But at this time, God's saying to us, I want you to come. Come. Because I want to come and meet with you. God wants to come and meet with us. He's longed for this time and this opportunity. If you look back over your life and how you got here, and I guarantee you there's a different story for each person that's in here. God directed you through those things to bring you to this place at this time. God directed you to bring you to this place at this time. Just as He directed Israel to bring them to that place at that time. And why? He brought them out so that they might worship Him. He's brought us here so that He might come down 
and meet with his people. It changes why we come to church. It changes what we, why we expect. It'll change how you live your life the rest of the week. Because you understand that if you come in here ready, if we all came in here ready, it's going to happen sooner. But when we come in here and we're not ready, we're dragging spiritually... We're dragging because we haven't spent time in prayer. We have bad because we haven't been looking. Because we, we, we come here for whatever. We just come because it's a habit and all the things we've talked about before about why people come. But the right reason to come is we're coming to meet with our God. And then as we begin to realize who He is and what He's done for us and what He wants to do, we come in expecting. And boy, when we start coming in expecting, when we come in with our hearts on him is we're coming to please you and to honor you and to bless you who's been so good to me this week and so be good to me my whole life wow wow he's a father his emotions he cares he's passionate and he wants to pour that passion that emotion that love out on us every time we come Oh, there may be times he wants to correct us, but he does it out of love. Not necessarily like your parents may have done it to you or teachers may have done it to you, but he loves you. He cares about you. He wants to be with us. He wants to minister to your needs. Just think about what he can do. So how come he hasn't done it? Because most of the time we don't get close enough to him so he can we approach him at a distance. And that's what they did. Because what they did is they saw the lightning and the thundering, and we'll take a look at that. This is what God wants to do. And what happens is they, they pull away, and, it's, and they become afraid. Let's go over to chapter 20. God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. These are the basic rules. And then we're going to pick up in 18, verse 18. 20, verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and lightnings and the flashes of the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they were trembled and they stood far off. Sounds like Adam and Eve in the garden, didn't it? Then, Moses, then they said to Moses, you, go, you speak to us and we will hear, but don't let God speak with us lest we die. So you hear what he has to say to us, and, but we don't want to get in his presence. And yet God had called them out to his presence. Not to destroy them. In fact, God set boundaries around the base of the mountain so that it wouldn't destroy them. But instead of having problems with the boundaries, they didn't want to stay near the presence of God, so they withdrew because they were afraid. So they told the pastor, I mean Moses. You go talk to God and find out what God has to say to us and then we'll do it. But of course, they didn't. All right.
Look at Moses' response, verse 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Why are you afraid? God has come down to test you, that his fear may be before you. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. He just told them not to be afraid, and he said, God's come down so that you be afraid. Wait a minute. He must be talking about two different types of fear there. The first fear that he told them not to be is to be afraid of God. Because when you're afraid of something, every instinct you is to stay away from what it is you're afraid of. But God came down so that they would fear Him. That word fear means reverence. Recognize who He is. And when we recognize who He really is, then we will do what He says. Last week we took a little side trip. It wasn't this series. We did one message, but we talked about Job. And we talked about what Job went through and some of the struggles Job had, God had, or Job had, and how God brought him out of those, his, his handling of those struggles. And we saw the way God brought him out was to not put his arm around him and say, you know, that's okay, Job, you're going to make it through this. God brought him out by reminding God, Job of who God is. And it delivered Job from the wrong attitudes he had and the wrong way of thinking, and once he was delivered of those, God was able to bless his life again. And that's what the fear of God does. It straightens us up. There was an expression that I heard when I was growing up that my mother used to use. She said, I'm going to jerk the slack out of you. <laughs> you know what that means? <laughs> and that's what the fear of the Lord will do. There are times I've gone through, uh, you know, I know, now don't look at me this way because I know a few of you have done this. I've actually held a pity party for myself. You know, when you do that, nobody else comes. <clears throat> so you're alone in the party. But that's because a lot of them are doing their own parties. And almost always the way God got me out of it was not by coming to the party. Putting His arm around me and saying, Now there, John, I know it's been hard. I know it's tough, John. But if you just hang on a little while longer, you know, it'll be okay. No, I've had God usually get me out of it, and it doesn't take long, by reminding me of who He is. And so as hard as that may sound, it's what works in our life, because it gets things back in the right order. Because what happened with Job is Job lost sight of who God was and who he was. And so what God's saying to them, He says, I've called you out. Moses is saying, look, don't be afraid of Him and run away because God's come down so that you would have a healthy fear of Him, respect and reverence for Him so that you could enter into a relationship with Him. Because if you don't have that reverence from Him, you can't worship Him. You can sing all the worship songs you want, but if it doesn't come out of a heart that reverences Him for who He is and is in awe of Him for who He is, there will be no worship there because you think you're on the same level with God. The church goes through cycles. I mean, the church in general, especially the United States. We go through cycles. There's a period of cycles where, you know, there was movements where everybody's afraid to breathe because God's a holy God and we can't move. You know, you've got to wear your clothes. We talked about that last time. I think you've got to wear your clothes just right. You've got to do everything just right because God is a holy God. And we've come through a time of grace where we're finding out uh, of awareness of the grace, of how gracious God is and how generous God is and how, what God wants to do for us. And we go to the other extreme and we see how wonderful, kind, and gentle God is. 
and we forget who he really is. And it takes the balance of those things. Talks in Acts about the balance of the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's the balance of those two together. It's dad and mom. <laughs> dad usually represents the law. You know, well, I got to teach this son to get things right because when he goes up, you know, he's going to have to deal with the world. And mom says, well, "Yeah, but he's so small boy right now. You know, we got to understand <laughs> which one's right." Well, they're both right. The question is to blend them together in such a way that what's needed at the moment is what is brought. And in God, they're perfectly blended together. But God's on the top of the mountain and they're walking away because they're afraid of Him. Now, Jesus gives us an insight as to why they were afraid of Him because I think it's in chapter 3, He talks about the light and He talks about that they that, that love the darkness more than the light. They love the absence of God's presence more than they desired His presence because they were afraid that in the light their lives would be revealed. And so they liked the darkness better than... They liked hiding in the darkness because they'd rather hold on to what they had in their lives than bring it into the light where they could be free of it. There's scriptures that say that there's nothing hidden from the sight of God. To some people that's scary. But to me it's comforting. I don't want to hide things from Him. And I know I'm capable of it just like you are. We're capable of fooling ourselves and trying to fool God. And the fact that I can't fool Him is comfort to me because I know He loves me and wants to... Whatever He wants to correct me about is to deal with me and to set me free, is to set me free so that He can be closer to me. So here God is on the mountain. God once been waiting, brought them out for this purpose. He's prepared them for three days or told them to prepare for three days. And now they've got to see well, what this God is like, the awesomeness of God. No, Moses, you go talk to God and we're going to go, you know, we're going back to camp and, and you come tell us what he has. To, and whatever he says, we'll do. Now, it's interesting. The reason God said he wanted them out there is because when they saw who he was, then they would do what he said. But they chose not to handle it God's way. They chose instead to react to their fear and they ran away from Him and they trusted in their own determination to do what He said. Ooh, I never saw that that way before. They said, look, we're, 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 we, we're strong enough in ourselves. Whatever you say, we'll do it. And I believe they were sincere. I believe they meant it. They were confident in their own Resolve their own determination to do what was right. Where God said, the only way you're going to get that is by experiencing me. When you experience me, you're going to have the ability now to be strong when everybody else around you is weak. You're going to have the, listen to me, you're going to have the ability to overcome your flesh. Because God's saying, what you need to do what's right is me. Not your own determination. Not your own willpower. And so much of the church is trying to get themselves right by their own willpower. Because when you do it by your own willpower, you don't have to submit yourself to God. You're your own God. So we read the words, I'll do it. I'll do what it says. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I'd have to raise mine too. But we've all done that and then failed. And that's why God's given us His Spirit. That's what Romans 8's all about. The whole theme of Romans 8 
is that what you couldn't do with your flesh, by your own efforts, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of man as an offering for sin, he condemned his, our sin and his flesh. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. What I couldn't do myself, God put his spirit in me to enable me to, his presence in me to enable me to do it. But most of us have very little awareness of his presence in us. He's in there. The presence of God, the glory of God, the wisdom of God, the counsel of God that was on the mountain is in you right now. But it's our flesh. It's our unrenewed minds. It's our worldliness that keeps us from being in contact with this. And ultimately, it's our, it's our resistance to submitting to what he wants to do. I don't want to open up to him because he may, ask me to, may tell me to do something. He doesn't ask you. He may tell me to do something I don't want to do. So I'm going to have him in there as kind of a reserve, kind of a, you know, a, a, a safety net. I'm going to have him... Uh, uh, Lord put it to me one time. He says, so many people use me as a resource. You know what a resource is? It's, well, they don't use them anymore. You can go on computers. It's like the old Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever it was. It was in your, if you had one, it was, we had one, you know, 35 volumes or whatever. It was, it was a resource there. I only, I only went to it when I needed information. So if I had to, do, if I had to study you know, something that I didn't know anything about, I'd go find that, pull it off the shelf, open up that resource, and I'd get what I needed. When I was done, what did I do? Folded it back up and put it back. And the Lord spoke to me something. He said, that's what most Christians see me. See the Holy Spirit. He's a resource in them. That we, you want to draw on. You want to draw on when you need Him. But He doesn't work that way. He's a person. The Holy Spirit in you is a person. He's part of God. And the problem is when we see Him as a power, as a force, that's like a resource. When you see Him as a person, you either submit to Him or you don't. And the children of Israel said, we don't want to submit to God, but we want the benefits of it. So Moses, you go talk to him, and what he tells us to do, we will do, but they didn't have the power to do it, because the power to do it came from the encounter with God himself, for seeing who it was that told them to do it. Well, that wasn't in my notes, but that was probably something God wanted us to go off on to. All right. Let's go down here, and we'll, we'll have to end for this for today. So Moses says in verse 20, Don't fear God. God's come down to test you, to prove you, so that you would see what's in you, that, the fe that His fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood far off, but Moses drew near to the thickness and the darkness where God was. Amazing picture here. God wants to meet with all of them. And after God came down and revealed a little bit of Himself, the people ran away. But what did Moses do? He went back up the mountain. Moses had knew something of God that they didn't know. Moses had a heart and attitude which apparently they didn't have. So they stood far off. Verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven, that I had you an encounter with me. You shall not make anything with me, gods of silver, to be with me, gods of silver, or gods of gold you shall not make for yourself. 
an altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep, your oxen, and every place, look at this, in every place where I record, in every place where I record or cause my name to be remembered, is what it means in Hebrew. In every place where I cause, call, cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and I will bless you. God's come down to meet with the people. They came out all excited until they began to see how awesome He was. They saw the thunder and the lightning and they saw His power. What they saw was His power. They saw the... I'm telling you, you and I with your minds, we cannot begin to grasp what that was like. I just know this, that in every instance in the Bible where... God, God, Jesus, or an angel appears to people, they don't stand and talk to Him casually. Hey, how you doing? Boom, they hit the ground. And the angel has to say, stand up. Stand up. In Ezekiel's place, he had to lift him up. <laughs> stand up. The power and awesomeness of God. He wanted them to see that. Why? Because they were so loose. They were so casual. They were so disrespectful. They were complaining about Him already. And God wanted them to see who He was in His power. Now, the other times He reveals Himself in different ways. And so now Moses has gone up the mountain and God says to him, He he hasn't quit on the people. He hasn't said, forget them. He says, I still want to come down. He said, I'm going to designate places and I'm going to put my name there. I'm going to establish a place where I will be remembered. And I'm going to come down with them. And when I come down to be with them, look at what he said, I will bless them. I will bless them. I will bless them. I will bless them. And now what God does for Moses, and I'll just introduce it today. Now what God does for Moses is God announces to him that he wants to have him construct something to be erected in the middle of the camp called the tabernacle. Now, some of you are students in the school of ministry and you're studying this right now. We're going to take a week or so and kind of walk through it because it provides an understanding of some terms that you'll find later on in Psalms and in the New Testament about that refer back to it of what worship is intended to be and the heart of it is demonstrated by what goes on and what this tabernacle consists of. So on this mountain, God begins to give Moses instructions. He gives him instructions for rules about how they're to relate to one another. Some dietary rules. He gives them instructions about how they're to relate socially. How do they handle other issues? And then we're going to begin to look next time that God begins to explain to Moses. He says he gave him a pattern. I don't believe he gave him blueprint drawings. He deposited in him an awareness of what this thing was to be like so that when he was done, he knew, yes, that's what I saw in here. And that's what the anointing does. We don't have time to get off into the side trip on that. But it represents the anointing because God's asking him to build something, telling him to build something that he can't build through his mind. It has to be birthed in here and then the mind is used to help construct it. But the vision of what it is in here and that's how God works. God works by showing you something in here. I asked my son, my son Mark, Mark is, is an artist. He draws and, and, and does artistic work. And you know, we've got some artists here. I, could, I said one day, I said, you know, Mark, when, when you've 
finished your drawing, can you tell whether that thing on the paper represents what you see in here? He said, yes, I can tell whether that's it or that's not it, because I see it first of all in here. And it's not necessarily with, you know, the details, it's I have the impression in here. And that's how the anointing works, and I believe that's what he deposited on the mountain in Moses. And what we're going to see is it's a series of it's a, some, some tents, some articles, and some practices, and some people, and the whole purpose of it, the whole purpose of this complex thing, and we're not going to go through the details at all, but the whole purpose of it is so that, that God could come down and be in the middle of the camp and not have His glory destroy them but he could be there in the middle of his people. And we begin to see the effort that they had to go through and the detailed instructions. You'll see two things. You'll see how much God longed to be in the middle of his people who have just rejected him. And we're going to see because of sin what they had to go through in order for God to be able to do that without destroying them. So we'll get to that. This kind of sets it up this morning. And we'll get to the detail of that. And, and I have some slides to show you, um, some drawings and pictures to help you imagine this. And it will be interesting because not too long from now, when they finish the tabernacle course, you'll get to see some of them out there. So let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and grace in our, loves, in our lives. Help us, not with our minds, but help us with our heart just to begin to grasp how much you want to be actually with us here. That we're not coming just to sing songs and listen to music and hear words. But you long for this. Help us to get a glimpse of your heart and your longing and your desire for us personally but also for us together as a congregation here draw us draw us by your spirit begin to deposit this desire in each one of us that it would draw us Lord that it would draw us as I've shared with you over and over again, Father, there's nothing I can do to make this happen. So it's got to be you. It's got to be your spirit. But I believe with all my heart, this is what you want to do here now. So help us to overcome the obstacles. Help us to overcome the fears that Israel had and not run away, but instead develop the reverence so we draw closer the appreciation for you and who you really are. Thank you, Father. We say to you, here we are. Have your way with us. In Jesus' matchless name.